welcome to the Driving for Better Business podcast. In this series, we're celebrating women in transport, fleet management and road safety. And today I'm very pleased to introduce Laura Thomas, not only founder and director of Consulty, but also an award-winning leading lawyer who's advised the government on road safety, has worked for the HSE and also as a deputy traffic commissioner. Laura, welcome to our podcast. Now, I've given a brief introduction to the work that you've done, but actually your your experience is really broad. Can you tell me a little more about it? Yes, thanks, Anne-Marie. So you're right. I have not had perhaps the straightest of career paths, um, but I think the winding ones are probably the more interesting. So I am a barrister. I started life as a criminal barrister in Chambers in London. I then joined a law firm where I was for 12 years as a barrister and then partner. And I founded their regulatory and um, health and safety corporate defense team. Um, And now having spent a couple of years working in industry in leadership roles um, in oil and gas, in civil engineering, um, I'm now working with businesses in two different strands. Um, Firstly, as director of Consulty and Consulty offers business consultancy services mainly in the health and safety field, but also regulatory, ESG, risk and compliance. And I also do legal work, um, still as a self-employed barrister at the Chambers of Laura Thomas, where I focus predominantly on health and safety and transport work. Excellent. Thank you. My goodness. I can just see now all the work that's involved in that. And you've got a unique insight um, into the road safety aspect of that. What led you into being involved in in the road safety and transport side of things? Yes, it's an interesting one. Um, And if I'm honest, Anne-Marie, I think I kind of fell into transport and road safety. Um, I know many people say it, but sort of the the transport world found me. (laughs) Um, I think early in my career, I remember going to a talk by the inspirational and wonderful Carol Walker, who's the former CEO of Hermes. Um, And I remember she said exactly the same. She said she sort of started, nobody really leaves school thinking they want to work in transport and road Mm -hmm. safety, but it it kind of sucks you in. It does, Um, it really does. (laughs) And I I kind of, um, and I love that about it really. And there's always just so much to learn um, Mm. in the transport and road safety world. You can never say you've you've learned it all. Um, I was then really fortunate to sit on the board of Logistics UK with, with Carol. And she was a huge inspiration to me. Um, I think in my world as a criminal barrister, I, I saw the, the really tragic side of road safety. I dealt with many horrendous fatalities and serious incidents on the roads, um, both from a health and safety perspective and a, a road traffic law perspective. And I wanted to understand more. So I had the opportunity and was invited on to the um, Road Haulage Association legal panel. And I started to do public inquiries before the traffic commissioner. Um, although I have to admit, Anne-Marie, um, hey. tachographs did and still do puzzle me. <laughs> I'm with you there, Laura. <laughs> Um, I was then um, appointed Deputy Traffic Commissioner and I held that role for two and a half years. My goodness, um, I learned so much about road safety and um, transport, the transport world, sitting as a Deputy Traffic Commissioner. I met some wonderful people um, and it led also to some really interesting work. So I then went on to advise the government um, on their high profile cycle safety review. 
So I think also if I take into account in my private life riding horses on roads, I think I have mm. experience of pretty much transport in every single form. Um, and, and still to this day, I'm engaged and, and, and you know, enthused by it all the time because it's one area that we've really got to get right. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you've um, you had your eyes opened when you just started working um, in road safety, especially going to um, look at, looking at the, the legal side of things, the horrendous things that happen on the road. And I think one of the things that we don't realise is that because we use the roads in some way, shape or form every day, we don't see the risks because most of us will get by without seeing anything horrendous happening. So in our brains, we get the idea that actually the roads aren't a dangerous place. But Absolutely. Most, most collisions are avoidable. And I think this is why people in road safety are so passionate, because there's so much that we can do to have to reduce the toll on the road. It's within our gift to do that. There's a lot of human error involvement um, in, um, in, in road safety, but actually there's a lot that we can do to prevent what happens. Um, and as Deputy Commissioner, how did you engage with, with stakeholders and the industry to, to improve that and have real accountability? Yes, well, I mean, interestingly, as you know, the, um, the Deputy Traffic Commissioners work with large um, large goods vehicles and passenger um, vehicles, which, um, as you'll appreciate, I used to say to drivers when I did driver conduct hearings that you are driving a lethal weapon yeah. along the roads. Yeah. And, and you have to understand that we put a lot of trust in your professionalism in doing that. Um, and... Sometimes people found that quite a shocking thing for me to say, but I genuinely believed it because I have seen, as you say, Anne-Marie, that, that mm. what, what can happen when it all goes wrong. Um, as regards engaging with stakeholders and driving improvements, I think you, it's mainly through continually banging the drum. I mean, we, it was about speaking to people and, and, and reminding people. It's not about shocking people. It's not shock tactics mm. and scare tactics. It's actually about um, education and engagement. So I used to attend a lot of road haulage association seminars, firstly, actually as a transport lawyer and then as a deputy traffic commissioner on behalf of the full time traffic commissioners. And, and we talked to operators about burning issues what, uh, and what they were. And, and I found the key is actually to keep it simple, because a lot um, of this, as you said, Amory, is actually quite simple. Yeah. Um, and whether you're operating vans, whether you're driving your car, whether you're on a bike, whether you're on a horse or whether you're, yeah. you're behind um, the wheel of a large goods vehicle, it's all just about thinking what you're doing. You know, what are you doing? Um, you mentioned there, Anne-Marie, about, you know, risk. And I think we all become a little bit too complacent about yeah. risk. Yeah. Um, and it's just about remembering what you're doing and why why you're doing it. And, and if you're in a business, it's about making sure that you're continually reminding your people mm. about what it's, what's expected of them, but most importantly, why, why it's expected. And by that, I don't mean scaremongering or, you know, um, uh, sort of talk of tragedy the whole time. I just mean, why, what, what is it? Why is it we're asking you to do that? Because at the end of the day, if you're running a business that has any involvement in transport, which most do, um, you're gonna be led by your people. Yeah. And they are the ones that are out there on the road. We used to say it a lot to hauliers. Um, 
you know, once, once your drivers are out on the road, that is it. They are responsible for the vehicle that they're driving. Um, and how do you, how can you be sure that they are taking that responsibility the way you want them to, that they're taking it seriously, um, that they're not using mobile phones, that yeah, they're not over their driving hours limits, that they're not, you know, they haven't had a heavy night the night before and um, have decided to still take the keys to the, to the vehicle. And it's about just instilling that um, people-centred culture in your mm. business. I used mm. to have a phrase when I worked at, um, uh, as a lawyer at Burkitt's, which was say what you do, do what you say, mm. and then have the paperwork to prove it. Because I found that a lot of businesses were very paper heavy. Um, but actually that paper is only ever so good as long as it's being followed in practice. Um, so I always used to say, don't start with a piece of paper. Let the piece of paper be the outcome of your risk assessment, of your thought process, of what you're telling your people they need to do and why they need to do it. Um, and as I said, that's why I think it is key to understand human behavior um, and really address the why. Why are we doing things this way? Um, why is that not working for you? You know, how can we help you to, to, to make it better? I read a great quote the other day, Anne-Marie, and I, I loved it. Mm. It said, you don't change culture through emails and memos. You change it through relationships, one conversation at a time. Mm. And that really spoke to me. I thought, yes, spot on, spot on. There's an awful lot of, I've seen in a lot of businesses, there's an awful lot of reliance on paper, on emails and on memos and thinking that that equals communication. And um, in my experience, it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, you're so right. It's interesting that one of the things I could remove from my job um, to help me be a little more efficient would be emails because we are bombarded with them. And when you get so many, it's easy just to give them a cursory look and not actually take them seriously. Sometimes there's nothing that stands out, particularly in an email that you get. And especially if it's, it's part of a, a mandatory thing that you have to do and you sort of tick you feel like it's a ticking the box exercise and you go along with that and i think the communication especially a top-down communication on the importance of something and the values of the organization and why we do it this way here is so so important um, and that personal touch um i think can make all the difference i think you're absolutely right um and having been responsible as a de deputy traffic commissioner, you will have seen, as you've explained, lots of different scenarios. What were the most common ones? Were they were they simple ones? Were there things that, was it complacency? Was it, I couldn't be bothered? Um, what were the things that you saw that could have been put right with quite quite simply? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that is, it is quite a simple one, Amory, actually. It's essentially organisations not doing what they said they would. <laughs> Um, and I think um, particularly in operator licensing, so uh, um, operators sign up to undertakings that they're, and um, those undertakings are all essentially predicated towards road safety. And many oper operators simply don't realise what that involves. Mm -hmm. I once yeah. had an operator say to me, oh, I thought it was like um, a driving licence. Once you got it, You'd, you'd shown you passed the test and that was it. And it was very different. Operator licensing is given on trust. Yeah. And you are trusted to meet the undertakings in that license. And those undertakings are vital for road safety. And so for me, that was the main issue. It was people not doing what they promised to do, essentially. And therefore yeah. that trust had been broken. I mean, key 
uh, particular areas included maintenance, for example, um, frequency of inspections, um, you know, with in-operator licensing, inspections had to be carried out at a certain frequency and you set the frequency, actually, generally sure. speaking. But if you say you're going to do something and then you don't do it, um, then that can cause a problem, particularly for road safety. Another real hot topic for traffic commissioners, particularly when I um, sat as a, a deputy traffic commissioner, was roller brake testing um, mm. and the importance of roller brake testing. And I won't go on about it now because I can get on my soapbox a bit about it, Amory. <laughs> but um, the importance of roller brake testing and the importance of understanding what your maintenance provider is doing. Because quite often, if you look at roller brake test printouts, it says that the vehicle has passed. Mm. But often the vehicles are insufficiently loaded. So we don't actually know if they've passed because the, because the, 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 the percentages might have come back or the vehicle mm. or the wheels may have locked. But actually, if they're insufficiently loaded, the whole thing is not really worth the paper it's written on. So it's things like that. It's about really just understanding what's going on in your organization. And that would be the same if you were operating not just large goods vehicles, but if you're operating vans or if you've got people driving from office A to office B in their cars, do you know that the cars are, are roadworthy? Um, do you know if they have business insurance? Do you know if they were up all night and they're particularly fatigued. Fatigue is a real issue, as you know, Anne-Marie. Mm. Um, so I think for me, as I said, it, as a highlight, it's people not doing what they said they would. There's so many topics within that, though, um, that, that I do think um, businesses just need to get a bit more of a grip on, on vehicles on the road. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. So your experience with supporting organisations in managing their regula regulatory um, areas, um, but the health and safety strategies within an organisation are so important um, and especially linked with um, health and safety management systems that they would have anyway to manage their health and safety. Do you think that many organisations actually put the two together or have we still got work-related road risk and road safety in a separate dusty box in a cupboard somewhere? I think you've hit on a really important point there, Anne-Marie. Yeah, I, I think actually what you said at the end is probably more true than a holistic approach. Um, I think um, organisations are starting to wake up to it, but sometimes still when I work with organisations through, through consultee, when I tell them that actually um, an employee moving from one site to another is business travel, yeah. Sometimes they still look at me in surprise. Um, and, and so, yes, I think you're right. There is a bit of a siloed approach to this. And I mean, it's interesting because, as you know, I work a lot in the health and safety field. And what I say about health and safety is safety has been shouted and health has been whispered. Yeah. Well, if you were yeah. to add road safety to that, I would say road safety is barely audible. Mm. Um, and, and actually, it's about having a holistic approach to it all. The principles of risk assessment relevant to health and safety are also equally relevant to road safety. Um, and I think, you know, when I'm working with organisations to find safer ways of operating, a lot of that is directly linked to road safety. Mm. You know, people plant interface, for example. Yeah, I mean, you know, directly linked to road safety. And, you know, I'm still seeing things, Anne-Marie, that defy belief for me. Um, you know, I've seen in the last year, I've seen people standing on the back of a moving flatbed, for example. 
you know, I've seen people walking behind reversing vehicles mm. without high vis on. So this is, you know, within workplaces. Mm. I have I have experienced um, organisations not thinking there was an issue with requiring people to work all night and then calling them to drive a hundred miles the next morning to a different work site. You know, these things all have huge, huge impacts on road safety and health and safety generally. And so what I would love to see is that that culture that is in, in many businesses starting to be embedded in relation to health and safety, extending to road safety and road mm. risk. Yeah, absolutely. So, so important. And you mentioned fatigue and you mentioned um, employers requesting or requiring um, their staff to, to behave in ways that you wouldn't do if they were operating other heavy machinery. Um, and I think that's the difference. We've got to get a grip of a vehicle is another, another heavy machinery component that we are operating and it needs the same, the same resources to, to operate in a safe manner. And if that means more than one person because you're doing it over a number of hours um, or a number of days, and that's absolutely really important. But you also touched on something that we're trying to address within driving for better business and that is that people don't know what work-related road risk is they don't know if it's a work journey um, and I think the recent update to the HSC guidance is particularly good because it actually spells it out quite clearly in that it doesn't matter who owns the vehicle that you're driving and or riding and it doesn't actually matter how you're employed but if somebody's directing the work and that work involves driving and they have a duty of care for the driver or rider. And I think just getting to grips with that and breaking it down a little more. So if you drive your own car, that's still driving for work, even if it's not owned by your employer. If you're self-employed and someone's telling you to go somewhere, that is still driving for work and the employer has that duty of care. Understanding a little bit more about the nuances is really important. That's what we're trying to do now a little bit with, with driving for better business. Make sure that people are clear that this isn't just a HGV or van thing. Actually, it's any vehicle and any driver or rider on the road. But where, where should organisations be focusing their efforts to make sure they're getting this right? Well, I think actually you've, you've hit upon uh, one of the best things there, Anne-Marie, and that is the, the, the resources that are out there. I'm still surprised by how little businesses refer to those resources. For example, the resources you've talked about are driving for better business. The HSE website is an invaluable source yes. Yes. of information. And I'm still amazed, Amory, that the businesses I work with don't use that as their first port of call, because I can tell you I do. <laughs> and I've been working in health and safety law for over 20 years I've worked for the HSE but the first place I always go when I'm about to go and visit a new client and it's perhaps an industry that I'm not quite so familiar with the first place I go is the HSE website yeah it is wonderful years and years ago they used to charge you for the documents there it's all now free yeah. Yeah. available and I I mean for me that it's a no-brainer it is an absolute no-brainer that is the first port of call for everything um it and and one thing I always remind clients of is if if something's gone wrong, it's that standard that you'll be measured against. Yes. Of course, yes. it's the law, but it's the standard that the HSE set that you'll be measured against. And if you've fallen below that standard, then it's more likely that you will face further action. And so, you know, just get to know it. 
Um, and it sounds like you're, you're, the resources you're doing on Driver for Better Business, again, perfect example of it. There's so many government resources out there um, that are free, easy, and, and can be accessed by everybody. Yes, absolutely. Let's come to a final question. Um, and I could talk to you, to you for hours, Laura, which is so interesting. <laughs> but I have to round it up at some stage. Um, how important is, health, is the health and safety culture within an organisation setting a foundation for good regulatory compliance? Okay, well, um, I remember hearing very many years ago the phrase, culture is king. That was mm. banded about everywhere, wasn't it? And um, I actually don't like that phrase, Amory. Um, mm. For me, it's quite hierarchical, <laughs> which is yeah, the antithesis yeah. of actually good culture. And um, I would simply say culture is everyone and everything. And, mm. and by that, what do I mean? I mean that, um, you know, we, we've always done it that way is the enemy of a good culture. Um, I do a lot of work with um, a leading safety behavioral psychologist, Dr. Tim Marsh. Mm-hmm. And he's very clear when he talks about this, that people watch the most enigmatic or experienced person and they learn from them. And it doesn't matter what we say, it's what we do that matters. Um, and so I think for me, um, health and safety leadership is central to a great culture. Um, great culture is built through empathy, understanding, listening, and that's listening to understand, not to respond, um, yeah. and, and finding solutions together. And I think um, perhaps quite poignantly on, on World Mental Health Day 2022, I'd like to end with this, if I may, Anne-Marie. Yeah. And it's my, a little phrase that I've developed that I really believe in, and that's healthy, happy people are safer and more productive. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more, Laura. It's a perfect way to end this brilliant podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you'll find more of these resources on driving for better business and links to things that we've mentioned during our conversation. Laura, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Amory. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.